Hi, I'm Julie. I work at Payfit, where I'm a product operations lead. My guest today is Julie Robles. Julie is leading the product ops team at Payfit, and her role is to maximize efficiency and impact of the product and tech teams. She has over 13 years of experience in product and program management for both startups and large corporations, exploring ecosystems in Europe, Middle East, and Asia. She is also a product and OKRs mentor for Google for Startups and ADP List. I've split my conversation with Julie into two episodes because there were lots of topics to discuss. In this first episode, we talk about her background and journey into product ops and the relationship between product managers and product ops, how our roles overlap, when is the right time to set up a product ops function, and how to ensure that everyone has time for that glue work. In the second episode, we will talk about how AI is changing the role of product managers and how product ops can help leverage this technology. We will also discuss the different types of complexities to manage, including the biggest ones, managing change with human beings. So if you're tired of doing the ops work yourself because you don't have such dedicated team, or if you dislike your product ops team who keeps on giving you processes to follow, these two episodes are here to reconcile you with product ops and giving you the hints to move forward and be a better product organization. Welcome to Product Perspectives, the podcast for product people that gives a voice to their stakeholders, hosted by Magali Pellisier. Each weekly episode shows you the other side of the product with interviews of the people who contribute to making products a success. They are engineers, writers, marketers, support analysts, UX designers, or even salespeople. Not only will they get the credit they deserve, but they will share their perspectives on what makes a good product and product manager. Stakeholder management is a key skill for product managers. So just as you're obsessed with listening to your customers, let's hear from your stakeholders. Thank you so much, Julie, for taking the time to join me today because we met at a conference last year and I was so um, interested in your discussion about product operation that I invited you straight away in the podcast. And what I think is a good start for the conversation is you know, about your journey. How did you get into product operations? Thank you, Magali, and thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to share a little bit more about opera product operations. Um, and yes, yeah, so I fell into product operation a little bit by chance. So during the past 13 years, I had like a few different hats. And among them, like a couple of times, I had like a project program management role where already we, I was like dealing with project and stakeholder management. And then when I had the opportunity to be the first PM of a team, then part of my role was already to set some foundations for the team to then grow up to 4 PM. So we're talking about ritual setting, like the onboarding documentation and everything. Um, then when I joined PayFit a year and a half ago, then my role was a little bit different, but it, I had already like a good part of operation in it. 
Um, my role was to facilitate some collaboration, feedback management. And then since last March, last March um, it's now my full-time role. Great. So you've mentioned several times the term product operations. I guess the first question for me is what do you mean by product operations? Because we know that depending on the company, it means different things. Exactly right. Uh, depending on the maturity of your product team, the whole company, then the product operation role might be different. So sometimes it's only one person. Here at PayFit, I lead a team of four. So already we have a lot more uh, bandwidth and um, yeah, bandwidth to, to manage more topics. Um, so I think for us, like first to start with, the way we define our role is to orchestrate the product and tech department so that we are able to maximize fulfillment, efficiency, and impact. So first, we work with both PMs and engineers at PayFit, which is not always the case for every product operations role. Um, and then having said that, we then define four main pillars that we would tackle, strategy, intelligence, enablement and excellence. So strategy is like to make sure that uh, the like whole department is aligned with the company objective. Uh, so like it's translated into managing OKRs, road mapping, um, search processes. Intelligence is to make sure the PMs have access to the right insights. So think data, uh, dashboard, customer feedback. Then enablement is to make sure that we are all able to deliver in the best condition. So here we are talking about tool governance, some AI that we'll touch on later, um, et cetera. And the last one is excellence. And in that pillar, we encompasses everything around best practices sharing, making sure that um, we are all growing as a community. So for example, we have and we still have actually an agile coach. So we have all those four pillars. They are not always activated at the same weight, but these are like how we then like strings we can pull to make the whole department more efficient. Yeah, thank you. So I see two things. Um, one is the fact that you're not just helping product teams, you're also helping the tech side, the engineers. Uh, so I think that's a differentiator compared to some other product operations function. On the other hand, the pillar view, um, I've had several people working in product operations in the podcast and they always refer to some pillars, um, yeah. which are interestingly enough, always very different. There's always something around intelligence and gathering data, yeah. making it available self-service. And there's always something about enablement. How do we help people perform in their role as well? Um, but that's very interesting to see the, the similarities. So in your journey, you also worked at Google. And I noticed that because in your LinkedIn profile, I looked, I was like, X, uh, it was written like Googler. I don't know how you actually pronounce it. I was like, what is that? And I was just like, oh, X Googler. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so first, how do you pronounce it? How am I supposed to pronounce it? And then yeah. how did this role at Google shape your career? Yeah. So Zooglers is actually a community led by former Googler um, who are um, entrepreneurs. 
So the, he gathered that whole community across like different countries. Um, we organized a demo day uh, in Paris a couple of years ago. So this is like the, the yes, former Googlers, startupers today community. Um, and for sure, I think my, my role at Google shaped me in so many different ways. So when you share the question, I was like, okay, what then, what are like the main highlights? And I had two out of them. The first one is OKRs. And to this day, I've, I'm like a firm believer uh, of that methodology. I think it's so much more than just tracking objectives. So I think it's very powerful. And so what I uh, then carried on in my core job, even though now it's like I'm responsible for the OKR process in the company, is also that having that mindset of understanding the overarching goal of your company, of your team, and then see how you can fit and contribute to that, um, that objective. It re it's really actually empowering because then you are able to propose something that fits into the vision of the, the wider vision. So this is definitely something that I kept uh, with me till this day. And second one is that's one of the program management world I was talking about. And I think um, at, at Google, they really uh, are a, a big fan of like made, I, I forgot the expression is like uh, homemade, like don't, don't buy stuff. You just start with an Excel sheet, uh, like a Google sheet actually, and run with it. And so it really teaches me to start small. I can't like, I don't buy something on the shelf. I have to like see what is the minimum value I need to bring do with my means and then see like the value you can bring. Um, and with that, always keeping a high level of excellence. So managing those two, I think was very uh, in, like interesting and challenging you to find the best solution within the quickest time. I think it's very, like, really something I took on with me. Great. And I think that also um, links with the fact that you were a PM before and now you're in product ops, which has some overlaps with PMs. Yeah. So I think it's a very good thing that you've got this background because I wouldn't want, and we're going to touch on that, you know, um, a, a product ops person telling me how to do my job if I've never done exactly. the job before, right? Um, so how do you reflect on being a PM before product ops was even a thing? Yes, I think it's, um, yeah, first I want to really emphasize um, that you don't need to have been like a PM to be a good product operation person. I think it's good if within your team you have someone, right? Um, so I'm actually the only one with PM experience in my team. All the four people I'm managing at the moment are project managers. And I think it brings a really good complementarity of like getting things done, but also speaking the language and understanding the day-to-day -day constraints of our users. Um, and so before that, so I think the, the best example to illustrate that is when I was the first PM and then soon to be joined and having like a team of four, I was not a lead PM, we were all four PMs. I think being the first, you need to set up some ground rules. You need to set up some foundation. So because I was here first, then I like proposed like rituals, stand-ups, retro. Um, I set up the whole onboarding of the team for the developers who were joining the teams. Um, 
everything about documentation and making sure that our stakeholders uh, were what you expect when, because also like product management and agility was a whole new thing in that company at that time. Um, so I think documenting as much as I can, and those are actually ops things. And I did, I did that in my day-to-day -day in my role, on, in addition to delivering my own product. It was a lot. And I think it's, um, I think sometimes it's hard to get it recognized. And it's, I call it a little bit like the invisible work. Um, and so when you have a community community of like a, a, a couple of PMs, obviously you will not have the budget. You have a full-time person dedicated on that. And you do you need it? Maybe not when you're like 4 PM, you don't need someone, but making sure that that job is like defined as something to be done and distributed and recognized was important. And I think now today it is, it is the case whether you have a, a product ops or not in your team. And I think then it makes the whole thing like um, a lot easier uh, because um, yeah, the, that work is not invisible anymore. Yeah, that's something we touched upon, which is the fact that very often when there is invisible work like this, it's picked up by minorities. And then if it's not rewarded, then they don't look <laughs> like they're doing as much work as the other ones and they're not as exactly. successful. Maybe they don't achieve their, their target. They can't launch this like, fancy new thing. Um, so it's really good that we talk about rewarding that work, whether yeah. there is a team dedicated to that, like product ops or not. Yeah. The other thing around how we perceive product ops is sometimes we think about them as process people and instead of being partners to product managers and really the yeah. helping us perform, they feel like, you know, it's like coming from the top. It's a lot of pressure, deadlines, and all these things we don't like. So how do you think we can avoid this? Yes, I think and it's totally fair to have that first impression because it's like, you know, someone who's not in your day-to-day, -day, like giving you advice on your job is like, like I have thought about it. Thank you very much, obviously. So I think from our, from, for us, it's like, like two very big steps. First is building trust and listening. Um, we spend a lot of time with PMs and engineers. Um, at the beginning of the year, we had a whole initiative around shadowing, not only for us, but like for all PMs. And we shadowed quite a few teams and making sure that we understand like where they are at, at the moment. So that was very important. Like the open door policy, if something like you disagree with, you don't understand, please come to us. Like we are like a very friendly team. Um, so yeah, building trust as much as we can. And the second is like start with the why. Whether it's something that's coming up from leadership or like another team is like, it has to come up with context. And us as product ops, we have to remember you like you are on your day-to-day, -day. you don't have the context. We can't assume that you, you know everything about what we are dealing with. So yeah, starting with the why and making sure that you understand like what's in it for you is very important. And so for that, 
we established um, a couple of um, rules. Uh, so one is we need a sponsor, and second, we need a core team. And so um, when the sponsor is here to help us really define and um, yeah, cut, like uh, how do you say, it? like define and make the why very very simple and very straightforward, and the core team is making sure that we are building the right solution. And maybe, I yes, one last thing I want to add on that. Um, I wanted to talk about a little bit on like enablers versus enforcers. And I think this is something that sometimes can make product ops people feel a little bit like coming from a top-down perspective is if we're here to do the police, the police of Jira, the police of product board, uh, the police of Notion. And like, we are like struggling. Like if the tool is not used, the tool won't be useful. If nothing is in product board, your roadmap will be useless that we know. But we, we have to come from a posture of enablers. We are here to build tools and make sure that you have everything to use it. But for us, more and more, I'm trying to move away from the adoption metric and say like, our success is not defined by who's using it, but like, is it useful at the end? If no one is using it, although they tried, but in the end, if it's not useful, let's kill it and find something else. So I want, I really try to keep in mind every time that we are enablers and not enforcers. Yeah, I like that view actually. Um, and I, I can definitely relate with some experience I've got of, you know, like something is pushed onto me and I've got to do it. I think yeah. I've experienced times as well when I felt that the process that was in place would enable me to do my job better but it still takes time. So I think it takes time at the beginning to get used to that, you know, learning a new tool or just learning about the process, investing time in training. And then it still takes time just documenting, for example, as a product right. manager, uh, rather than having everything in my head or in documents all over the place. So what we're saying is, even if there is a product ops team that doesn't mean that the PMs have no operation work to do. They right. still have to do that. So how do you, do you think this is recognized, first of all? And mm -hmm. how can we give PMs this time to contribute to operations? Yes. Actually, I, I really love that because sometimes also like I'm a defender of product ops, but I agree. It doesn't mean that you guys as PM don't have that invisible work to still be doing in your day to day. So I like 100% agree with that. And, and so for that, I think, like, I'm thinking of a, a friend of mine who's working in a similar scale up, French scale up situation, but he's the only product ops. And beforehand, he was a PM. And the first, the way they started product ops, like a, a couple of years ago, was a community of PMs. And so they were all volunteering to give that time for operations. And I think even if you have full-time people, you still have that community. And I think first that community needs to be volunteering, but it has to be communicated and, and like highlighted in perf reviews and career path. So when we look at like 
how to make the that work valued is when you do the perfect review, something was expected of you and you delivered. That's the only way that it's going to be valued, right? And I think then it's important to write that down in the career path. So like past a certain level of seniority as PM, you are expected to shine beyond your scribe, right? And I think operation is the best way to do that. Sharing your best practices, sharing your experience with less experienced product like PMs are, is ops, right? And this needs to be valued in your perf review in your career path. That's the only way where people can actually spend time, grow from it, and then it's sustainable. Yeah, I think that's a good point. A lot of companies have career frameworks where it's a, a grid and like almost like a matrix. And it's almost as if product ops should be one of those lines. And as you grow more senior, you contribute more towards improving the, the processes and the ways of working of, of the product practices. I, I, I It got me thinking as well around the the way we recognize individuals and sometimes it can be very achievement driven, but we also tend to forget the way people behave. Are they easy to work with? Are they ready to help? And that's also something that is probably another line as well on how you behave in the company and uh, help the whole company, not just yourself um, perform. And that's something that can be ignored as well. Exactly. So, when we're talking about measuring and making sure that um, that we take into account all these other things that people do that contribute to make the organization work, it gets me thinking as well about engineering because we could be tempted to count the number of story points or to count the number of, of lines of codes. And what's very interesting, as you yeah. said earlier, is that PayFit, you also work with the tech side. Um, and you don't have an engineering background. So you have a PM background and you you told us that it, it helps to have someone like um, this in a product ops team, but you don't have an engineering background. So in that case, I wonder how do you establish the legitimacy with engineers? Yeah, that's a very good question because when I was saying that, oh, having a PM is very useful in a props team. And then I'm like, but we don't have an engineer. <laughs> so yes, um, then I think it's like, it's going back to making sure that what you bring to the table is like highlighted and what you won't do is clear. And so we see our engineers as subject matter experts. We are not, we are not in their shoes. We don't work with the same tools. We don't have the same constraint and making sure that they know we know is like a very good start to the conversation. As you said, we are a partner. So our skill set, what we bring to the table is product and stakeholder management. Everything around understanding how to measure like developer uh, performance or like what um, governance we should implement into Datadog, for example, we work as partners. So we have a co-lead on the engineering side that makes sure that the solution we build, the content is good and we are making sure that the project is moving forward. And so that's like the, the first part. The, the second is like same as PM is like shadowing, 
um, and active listening. I think uh, understand like speaking the same language or at least try is always a good way to build report with them and making sure that slowly we are we do understand what are the main pain points. And I think this is the most important when making sure that we are not only leading top-down initiatives is to make sure that at some point we are also able to propose solution for them or at least highlight problems and find a solution together. And I think it's interesting that you were speaking about metrics and like metrics on engineering side, because this is a big deal at the moment at PayFit. And we had that McKinsey article and the response on the engineering side. And for us, it was very, very important to listen to what they had to say, because like it's like no one wants to build something that no one will use. Like us first, like we don't want to build a dashboard that everyone looks at and say, this is not useful for me. It's only tracking for leadership. That's not like if it's not used by the team, no, like there's no data, no insight in those dashboards. So for us, it was very important to like take that time, talk with them, go over those articles together. I had a couple of actually meetups with architects and software engineer, and like not shouting at me, they were very friendly, but making sure that I was not counting lines of code. Um, and, and so for that, we have a developer experience team on the engineering. They are our partner, making sure that we understand what Dora metrics are, that those are like part of the dashboard. So this is a good example of, okay, a problem was highlighted by leadership. We have to tackle it. The solution has to come like from bottom up. Good. Yes, uh, that McKinsey article was very good and I can, I am sure that it has triggered a lot of conversations, especially if this is something that is a hot topic in your company at the moment. So, okay, so you've talked about actually something that is a problem highlighted by the leadership mm -hmm. and um, saying, well, you know, let's look at the problem and let's talk to stakeholders, which by the way is, is a either product approach as well um, you know nobody wants to build something that is not going to be used it it really resonates with with me as a PM right but I'm sure there are lots of things to to deal with just like in product and this is where it leads to priorities so what are the priorities that um, you're you're focusing on like what does product help help, help drive um so our priorities have changed as like the company grew and like the strategy shifted. So since like last, like a year ago, actually with the, the big, big, like tech, big bang, where like all scale up had to readjust the strategy from hyper growth to scalability. And so it does mean for product ops, we went uh, to then a little bit more like efficiency focused um, in, in our priorities. So for the last semester, it's translated into three main uh, priorities. First was increase reliability and productivity. So like we talked about like metrics, velocity and etc. cetera. Um, second one was internal, internal alignment. So this is both within the department 
talking about dependencies, et cetera, but also with other customer facing departments. So customer service, marketing, sales. So everything around like alignments on, on company objective. And the last one was a little bit of oh, moonshot um, is AI for productivity. Um, so we, we are spending time testing like what AI could help us uh, do and be more efficient. We're going to touch on, on AI um, a bit later, but uh, I just want to um, almost categorize what you said into two, um, because you've mentioned that word before to me, inward work and outward work. So how do you define these? And can you give me some examples of how product help? Yes. Um, so those would be those first two objectives. Inward is, okay. We are looking uh, at ourselves with the squad, so both product and engineers. We also have designer, but we have designer ops, a team that is already focusing on their need. So for me, it's really looking at squad as PMs and um, developers. And okay, saying our objective is to altogether be more efficient. How do we raise the bar in terms of excellence? And, and collectively how we can grow together sharing best practices. So this um, is translate, it, it translated into different initiatives across the year. Um, but for example, we had the investor minutes where PMs um, during our PM community weekly were sharing for five minutes how they would use the invest framework uh, on their user stories. So each on like a specific um, angle. So that would be one way, um, providing metrics on the JIRA and say, okay, uh, we are building those dashboards to highlight, okay, how much time do you spend on maintenance, managing tech debt, actually feature launching to have like, just to have the information and then for them to be able to, be able to act on it. So this is like looking inward and then looking outward is okay, we are working with customer service, marketing, product marketing, sales, how do we um, how do we share information, making sure that everyone is on the same page, they all have the top line priorities for product, so they're able to then share insight, valuable and actionable insight on their hands. So, for example, that CS is able to like share like the risk of churn, like what like according to the top segments, what are the highlights that we then product should include in our roadmap. And so facilitating all those collaborations. Great, thank you. And one last question before we move to AI. Um, it's actually a question from one of the PMs you work with, uh, so Pierre Mertins. Um, and let's hear the question. How do you create your own roadmap first and second, which indicator are you following uh, on long-term and also on daily basis? I really enjoy working with Pierre because he's always, um, he has high expectations for us. So it does mean that he's really challenging us on a day-to-day -day and this is the only way we can improve. So like, um, I know Pierre, you had lots of questions, so let's tackle this one first. Um, so yes, we have a quarterly roadmap. 
And as PMs, what we do is like on like a continuous basis, we are building up our backlog and we have several steps. So first one in that backlog, we try to use the ICE framework. So impact um, confidence. Confidence is depending dependencies on like the bandwidth of the PMs, for example, and effort on our side. So this is giving us like a rough prioritization, but then what is very important for us is to balance our initiative with audiences. So we never want to have two main, more than two main change management initiatives at once for one audience. Audiences being product builders, product managers, or engineers. Because if you want to change everything on like on their ways of working, you will not know what works and what improved, what had an impact anyway. So we try to then filter a little bit out like with these and also have a good balance of, okay, this was maybe an idea from leadership and this was an idea from the teams and have a good balance of like top down, bottom up initiatives. And once you have that proposal is then go to the directors and see like both product and engineers and see if they want to swap out something and see like, if they are all on board with that roadmap. So that's like our roadmapping. And I knew Pierre was going to ask me about indicators because as product ops, we are always talk talking about PMs. You need to be data-driven. So why won't we product like data-driven as well? So this is, to be honest, very challenging. Um, on a longer term, we do use OKRs as well. Um, so here we have three ways of um, like three or like objectives. One is to be enablers. And here we are measuring like, did we give access and support on new tools or processes? So very manual way to gather that data. So that is going to be uh, referring to, for example, uh, our current objective of being more efficient. Uh, second was objective was to uh, have foster better internal alignment. And here is like, okay, was info shared on time and any conversation happened afterwards. So conversation could be, oh, like, oh, you know about that dependency we didn't talk about during the meeting. Yeah, actually it will impact the roadmap. All those conversation, every time it happens, it means we failed as product ops. And the last one I tried was to gather metrics around satisfaction of the whole community. The whole community at the moment is 250 people. And I had never a worst like response rate to a survey ever. So maybe that was not the best way to measure engagement. But I think it, I'll have to find another way. But I feel it's important to gauge if the PM feels like we are tackling the right challenges at all times. So I'll find another way, uh, but yeah, story was not the, the, the solution here. I, I like it. I like um, in the first part of what you said, the experimentation aspect where you said, well, we're only changing one thing at a time for an audience mm -hmm. because we need to be able to see if it worked or not. And if we're changing everything at once, then there would be a lot of noise. 
Um, and one comment uh, for Pierre, you work in the same company. You can just ask those questions anytime. <laughs> oh, he does. Don't worry. He does. <laughs> Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues, and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. If you have suggestions for topics and guests, or any feedback, you can write to Magali Pellissier at hotmail.fr.